0: Tonight, if you'd turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, we're going to pray in just a moment. As I shared with you in the introduction, from here on out, the book of Daniel is wildly prophetic. And it is, in essence, as I've also said, nearly impossible to rightly interpret the book of Revelation without the prophecies of Daniel. And so we're going to get to now some of the meat of that, and some of the dreams, the visions, the things that uh, will happen from here on out in the book of Daniel, some of the direct prophetical uh, evidence that's going to be given to us, and and tonight uh, we'll begin the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, you remember we saw the dream itself, uh, and, and so or, or at least the setup to it and what happened in the wise counselors that Nebuchadnezzar has, that he put it to them, hey, you need to tell me what the dream is and the interpretation. He made it impossible for somebody to do. And so uh, there's something I want to draw your attention to. And in tonight's study, we have this tremendous picture of irregardless of what's going on in the world, No matter what's happening in Israel, no matter what's happening in Iran, no matter what happens in our presidential elections, no matter what's going on in your neighborhood or your nation, God alone is sovereign in the universe. And he still has stuff under control. And he's the one that anoints and appoints kings and kingdoms. He's the one that Finishes that kingdom time. He's the one that gives them their power. There is no power on this earth but what God has allowed it or ordained it. One of the two things. And so even in the life of somebody like King Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to go on and do some pretty goofy, dumb things, he's going to erect this giant image to himself when we get to chapter 3. We're going to see him do some things. You go, man, this guy's just a total carnal, heathen, pagan. God uses total carnal heathen pagans for his plans and purposes. And so, don't get dismayed by the fact that, wow, it kind of seems like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is only, because we're going to see him tonight, really. You could almost look at this, and I often say, to some degree, he typifies the work of Christ. He's unlimited in power at the time. He has unlimited authority. He has, has unlimited riches. He, he really is, as he's going to be called, the king of kings, at least on earth. And, of course, Jesus, far superior to that, will complete that, that picture. So we have in the picture that we see tonight uh, some very, very, very wonderful prophetic gleanings that we can lay hold of, and we can look at world history and go, nailed it, right, on the head. And so... Um, as we get into chapter 2, the remainder of it tonight, we will not finish it. There will be a part 3 next week. This is a pretty long chapter. Uh, I want to encourage you. Be encouraged. Sometimes you'll go, oh, you know, I just, I don't want to hear about what's going to go on in Israel. I don't want to hear what's going on in the world. It's kind of like, la, la, la. If I don't hear it, I, it won't happen or something. I don't know. Don't lose heart. If an A-bomb goes off in San Bernardino, God's still on the throne. Amen? It's that simple. You don't need to lose heart. You need to have heart. And you need to continue to stand. And you need to continue to fight the good fight. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Maranatha. Would you pray with me? Father, tonight as we begin our time together in your word, we first want to pray for Kendall's sister, Connie. We pray that you would just watch over her as she battles these difficulties in her life physically. And Father, we're grateful that we can cry out to you and, I uh, just ask for you to heal and touch, and we would pray that you would do that. And, and, Father, we're also at the same time so grateful for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you that you foretold the future. You gave us this picture, this window uh, into world history. And we pray that as we study it, our faith would be strengthened. Lord, as we sit here uh, almost 3,000 years later, Lord, hearing these words, that, God, uh, we could look at this and go, you, you have been faithful throughout history. And so, Lord, we we bless you, we praise you, we thank you for this time tonight in your word. Pray now your anointing upon it. Instruct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn off that noisy fan. I was wondering, where is that coming from? We have rats. Verse 24, as we pick up now again in Daniel 2, And therefore Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And so if you remember the last time we were together, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He says, you know what? You guys are worthless. You're no good. We're going to send guys out to wipe out uh, everybody who's a soothsayer, everybody who's a, music- a magician. Not a musician. A magician. I have some jokes for that, but I won't use them tonight. <laughs> and so... Here, Here is this man who, in essence, was in charge of that duty of going out and seeing to it. This was carried out. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. So here in the face of, of death, and I think that's an important thing to remember, in the face of death, Daniel says, I'll go. In the face of his own demise, Daniel says, I'm not afraid. In the face of seemingly unbelievable odds, Daniel says, I'll take those odds. Because me and God are a majority. And that really is a key to a strengthened walk with the Lord. That no matter who's against you, you and God is always a majority. That no matter what's arrayed against you, you and God, always a majority. That no matter who's against you, their power does not compare to the power of the God Most High. And if he is for you, who can be against you? And so Daniel takes that tremendous faith and he says, you know what? I believe it. I'll act on it. And I want to share with you, this is one of my great uh, pains in ministry is people know the truth, they've heard the truth, they've been taught the truth, they will even tell you that it's true, but they refuse to do it. And that is why the book of James reminds us, in, in, there in chapter 1, to be therefore doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because to, to hear the word, in essence, can actually become a detriment to you if you refuse to use it and act on it, because now you know the truth, but you're not listening to God and your life. You talk about coming unglued can come unglued really quickly when you do those types of things. And so obviously, Daniel is taking the taking the high road here and he's doing what the Lord has told him. I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch said uh, quickly brought Daniel before the king. And said thus to him, "Uh, I found the man of the captives of Judah. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because he didn't find anybody, did he? The dude's a stone-faced liar. He didn't find Daniel. Daniel found him. And so the very first thing that happens, and I want you to recognize something here. This is the world's tactic. You stand for the Lord. The truth comes out of your mouth. And some knucklehead's going to try and take credit for it. That's the way the world works. The world's going to try and beat you down. The world's going to try and steal what God's doing in your life. And so Aries says, I found the man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Remember, he got a new name. The king is, in essence, trying to influence these four men to do the bidding of uh, the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And so he gives the full picture here. He says, you need to tell me what the dream was, and you need to tell me the interpretation. And So we're going to get that uh, here next. Now, when you think on that for a second, not only is that an impossibility without God, because it is. I mean, Connie and I have been married a long time. And sometimes we think the same, okay? We'll simultaneously say, Mexican food. We'll, you know, we'll like, well, let's go here and let's go there and let's do this and let's do that. You know, I mean, we have those moments to where we're so in sync that, you know, we want the same thing for dinner and, you know, we'll want to, you know, well, let's watch a Western or, you know, whatever. We'll have those moments. But that's not what's in play here. What's in play here is a very specific dream that one person has that someone else does not know about, has had no mention of any of the details of it, and not only is he going to give him what the dream was, but he's also going to tell him what it means. And this is an impossibility from a human standpoint. God is the God of impossible. He does impossible things all the time in our lives. And I think it, it it's oftentimes just simply a lack of faith that we won't trust him for those impossible things. And in fact, I think our faith grows more in the impossible things than it does in the possible things. When I look at the impossible things, I go, God, there is no way this can happen unless you do it. And God does it. It strengthens my faith. When I have something that I'm pretty sure God can do, and I'm praying that way already, not a lot happens in the area of faith. You know, if I if I trust God for my next paycheck, when my next paycheck has been the exact same amount for ten years, it doesn't build your faith a lot. You know, well, I'm trusting God for my next paycheck, but if you don't have a job and you're trusting God for your next paycheck, that's a different thing. Amen. This is this is that type of faith. This is. Ain't got one. Don't know how it's going to happen. God's got to do it. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. And so he's making a very clear distinction. And I want, again, for you to see something here. When you really trust God, you are willing to make clear distinctions about who's doing what. You will give God the glory, irregardless of whether you had a hand in it or not, whether to some degree the information maybe flowed through you as a vessel, or perhaps something that you did maybe physically brought that to fruition. But in this case, Daniel is setting the scene by saying, you know what, here's the deal. The guys that you chose, the way the world works, the things that you were looking to, that is not going to happen. It can't happen. And in fact, he's almost daring the king to prove that he's wrong. He's saying, your guys can't do it. I would ask you. You ever you ever had that type of faith in operation in your life where you're so convinced of the power of God that you're willing to give testimony to that power before it happens? Before it happens. He's trusting God before anything's been said. Think on this. The words that he is going to speak, he does not yet know that they are true. He only trusts God that they're true. The information Daniel has in his heart and in his mind, he believes he's heard from God, but he is declaring them to be true before he even speaks them. That's faith. That's the type of faith that we're looking for in our lives. To believe God so much that we will speak it and we will live it And we will not just name it and claim it, as some would say, but we'll say, I so trust the Lord that I'm going to give him praise and thanks before I ever see the results. That is faith. And he goes on, those soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but, this is one of the largest uses of the word but in the entire Old Testament, but. Therefore, in addition to, but, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. You notice what's missing? King, it's not me. He's basically making the statement, I'm not telling you this stuff. I'm going to be the vehicle. I'm going to be the one whose mouth opens and from whom those words are going to pour out. But there's a God in heaven who reveals these things. He's given glory alone to God. Are you willing to give glory alone to God for the things that God does? I can tell you in my capacity uh, that I have in ministry, some of the varying parts of it. I find a lot of people who are, in essence, taking God's glory. They're not giving glory to God. They are acting as if they were never born, that God would be operating at a deficit. God doesn't need us. God could have revealed these things through a rock, a tree, a cup, a bush, some kind of musical instrument. He could have caused a cloud to come down and have lips, whatever. God does not need us ever. And because of that, we should always be in that place that what God does and what God speaks to you, God always gets the credit for. Because really the opposite of what I said is true. When, when you wake up in the morning, God has a functional operational deficit to deal with. Because you're human, so am I. You still have a sin nature, and so do I. You still have great capability of hearing the things that God wants you to do and not doing them, and so do I. And so he says there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Notice he actually begins to now give a little insight to what's been, what's been seen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's not talking about next week, next month, next year, with the exception of the fact that there is the one who is the golden head, who's Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking about the future. There is nobody on this earth that can tell the future. Nostradamus did not predict the future. God alone knows the future with 100% accuracy. People can guess at component parts just like they can guess at numbers for the lotto. But only God says, and this is it, and thus is so, and it comes to pass, exactly as he has said. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were, and he's now going to begin to speak it. So he says very plainly, and see this, the dream you had? The visions, the things that you saw, that's what it's going to be in the latter days. Those are the things that are going to occur at a time that's going to be future to a large degree. So he sets the stage by telling him, in essence, the setting for these things that have been seen. Clearly, Daniel's humility here is contrasted with the world. Ariok is going, you know, hey, look what I did. Look what I look who I found. I, well, look what I did, king. And Daniel's saying, I didn't do anything. God in heaven revealed these things to, of your dream, and he's going to tell them to you. Notice he doesn't even point to his, himself as being the human vessel. He said, God's going to speak to you. Can I say to you that when you speak with the voice of God, you are speaking really in God's stead? When you recount to someone what the Word of God says, you are saying exactly what God has already said. That's why you'll hear me rather frequently and often say, I I didn't write this. This is God's Word. And so when you have the boldness to believe what it says, and to repeat it, and to say, thus says the Lord, you're really saying, God is speaking to you. That's why when people get upset with me, when I I will say something about some particular issue in their life that Scripture clearly speaks to, not talking about marginal things, I'm talking about a clear teaching of Scripture. You are exercising your ability in the Spirit to be the voice of God. You can all do that. That's not a pastoral gift. That's repeating what the Word of God says. You'll be 100% accurate when you do that. You won't ever step back and go, wow, I wish I hadn't have said that. Now, if you interpret what it says wrongly, that's on you. But what the word plainly states, I don't have to guess that. That's why I will dare to be dogmatic on the on the issues of our day. Somebody says, no, I think it's perfectly okay for me to live together with my boyfriend or girlfriend and be intimate beforehand, as I said on Sunday. I can tell you, no, it's not. It is not okay. It will never be okay. If you're a Christian, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, it is not okay. Thus says the Lord. Not me. God said it. That kind of boldness is lacking in our world today. And I believe it's part of the problem that we face in our nation. Is for the church to once again take up that boldness that Daniel has here. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven and he's spoken. There is a God in heaven and he's spoken. And he said an awful lot of stuff. This is two and a half thousand pages, folks. He said an awful lot of stuff. Will you dare to be as a Daniel and speak it? Because it's been spoken. You know what it says. Will you speak it? God said it. That's the picture that we have here. I I can only imagine what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It probably sunk, as he said, but I think what Nebuchadnezzar was hoping to hear, yep, I am so awesome, and I have some powers that nobody else on earth has got, and, uh, you know, I mean... Really, I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty big deal, actually. That's what he was hoping that Daniel would say. Because that's what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking about himself. You see, the world likes to surround itself with people like itself. The world loves it when worldliness is the order of the day. When we take credit for those things which God does. When we say with a loud voice, oh, well, it wasn't really God anyway. It was just me, and I'm awesome. And then people are wandering around going, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. Not Daniel. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has shown, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the days to come. Absolute confidence, absolute skill. Uh, that, that dream unfolds and it begins to unfold in the future. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, might have been uh, surprised, if you will, to have his dream revealed. That might have been enough. I mean, I, I can pretty much guarantee you guys come to my office and, you know, hey, Jeff, you had a dream last night and here's what it was. I'd be going, whoa. Awesome. But if you could tell me what it meant, and you were right, I'd be going, that's a God thing. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand, and I will, God says, do all that I please. Always been that way. Always will be that way. And don't let anybody tell you any different. Just because there's sin in the world doesn't mean God fell off the throne. Just because some people are getting away with something and you aren't doesn't mean God fell off the throne. Doesn't mean he changed his standards. Doesn't mean that he doesn't care. God alone knows why he does what he does, the way he does it, and in the time frame that he does it. God alone knows those things. And I have walked with the Lord long enough To see him allow things that I thought he should barbecue somebody for. And to see him take instant action on things. It's like, wow, that was kind of swift. And everything in between. Everything in between. I have seen God in my own life be radically patient with me. Radically patient. And I have seen him act in my life instantaneously to accomplish things that are not attributable to anybody but him. For instance, taking away alcohol. Instantly. Done. On the spot. Instantly. Never went to a meeting. Did not carry a coin. Never went to somebody's house and had a, a accountability partner. None of those things happened. It happened instantaneously. Just done. Over. Over. And then, there's my driving habits. Mercy. Mercy. I cry out for mercy every day. Like, I don't know why it bothers me. Just be thankful I didn't have both problems simultaneously. (laughs) God does those things. Amen? Amen? And it's true in your lives. you. You can testify and say amen. Because it's true. You walk with the Lord. You know exactly what I'm saying to you. God alone in heaven rules the affairs of men. And he does what he wants to do. He does it in his time. And he does it how he wants to do it. And at the same time he's dealing with your life, same time he was dealing with Daniel's life, same time he's dealing with Nebuchadnezzar's life, and all the people in Babylon, you can look at it this way. While he's dealing with you, he's also dealing with nearly 7 billion other people on this planet. Simultaneously. And he is perfect in his transactions. He doesn't make mistakes. It says here, uses the phrase to come. It's an Aramaic word. Um, It's actually... Um, tersra, and the Aramaic word there actually denotes the end. And from it is exactly the same connotation uh, that we have the day of the Lord or in that day. It's exactly the same context. So he's saying, I'm going to tell you things as the voice that's speaking for the Lord of things that are going to be in that day, in the day of the Lord. Verse 29. And so he's talking about Obviously, still things that are ultimately yet to come. He's talking about the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of the Lord, the millennial reign of Christ, the new heaven, the new earth. He actually is going to give reference that will lead all the way until that time. As for you, it says in verse 29, O King, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. That phrase in the Aramaic means in the latter days. After this, not just like tomorrow, what you're going to have for breakfast, but way after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. And so he he gives glory to God. He says, this is the Lord speaking to you. He tells him with great confidence that these things are coming directly from God. And here's what they are. He has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. And so he does the the self-deprecation thing, if you will, spiritually. He said, it didn't come to me because I'm some spiritual giant. It didn't come to me because I went to seminary. It didn't come to me because I'm hyper-spiritual. didn't come to me because I pray 814 times a day and I don't face Mecca. It didn't come to me because I've memorized 7,000 memory verses. It didn't come to me because I have a special hotline to God. It did not come to me for any human reason. Notice what he says. No more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, he includes himself, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. It's for everybody's good and king, so that you'll know what's going on with you. Because you may not know it, you may not think it, you may not be aware of it, but your life is in God's hands too. You may not believe in Yahweh, Lord of hosts. You may believe in Marduk. You may believe that that golden God that you worship is really the God of gods. But he says, not so, king. And I'm going to give you information to prove it. One of the great uses of the prophetic word of God is to make known to people those things which are yet to come so that when they see them begin to come to pass, they go, oh, my. They were right. It was right. God told the truth. It was already foretold. It's coming to pass exactly as he said. And as we see the world unfold before our eyes, as we see what's going on in the Middle East, specifically with Israel and Iran, as we see the consortium of nations gathered together, as I shared in our study in Ezekiel, you you don't need to have a, a degree in history To recognize that the nations that are arrayed against Israel are those nations that are called Gog and Magog in Scripture. And so as we look at the world around us, the prophetic word gives us strength. It says, man, look at this. When I look at what happens right now, the fact that Israel is still in existence is mind-boggling in and of itself. Their land mass is less than 8 million square miles. Total. Surrounded by 14 billion square miles with a B of land that is occupied by Arab nations. Why are they still there? What, there aren't enough of their enemies? Do they have like some kind of force field? The answer to that is yes, according to the book of Joel. His name is Yahweh, Lord of hosts. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me. He says that you might know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. And so he sees this giant image, and now we're going to hear what the image is. The image is head is of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. And you watched while a stone, a single stone, one stone that was cut without hands. One stone cut without hands. The stone that the builders rejected. The one stone, the rock, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. As you begin to see these things unfold, you realize them for what they are. It becomes extremely clear what's being said. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed together. You mean there's going to become a time when... All of the nations of the world are going to be judged and crushed together. Yep, that's exactly what Scripture says. And to become like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so he says, here's what the dream was. And remember, this, he's just telling him the dream right now. He's going to actually interpret the dream. He says, here's what the dream was. Now, at that moment, if he was wrong, what do you think Nebuchadnezzar is going to do? The book of Daniel ends in chapter (laughs) 2. Not hard to figure out. The book of Daniel ends in chapter 2. Daniel's life is forfeited. He already said what he was going to do. So it means that the king said, oh, my. He was right. You see this enormous, dazzling statue. This uh, statue, that in Aramaic is actually two different words. It's, it's uh, Malu Salim. This giant image. Th- this thing that is beyond human. It signifies the 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 whole of everything that is supernatural. Is really what the word actually indicates. It's like you're seeing something that is godlike says that image is actually going to be a preview of the last days. And when we hear the phrase last days, we always think future, amen? But from that time to this, we we have seen the clock winding down. So to some degree the last days have always been from the day before. The only difference is the last days and the times of the Gentiles will come of course and begin after Christ is on this earth but those times began and they are now winding down and as the puzzle pieces come into view and as they get put in their spot that's why we can say with absolute clarity hey a lot of this stuff's already happened there's not much left Somebody asked me if I knew exactly how many prophetic passages of Scripture have not yet occurred. I said, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you this. There aren't many left. There are very few that have to happen that are left in Scripture before the rapture of the church could occur. And all of those could happen in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. It happen right now. Because God's God, amen? That's where we started with this. God's God. He does what he wants to do. If he wants to fulfill all of the rest of the prophetic word of God at the snap of a finger, he can do it. And so this image portrays, in essence, and we'll see this as we look at the interpretation, the whole history of mankind from then until what still lies ahead of us. It is not yet even complete. It's still yet future in part of this image. From head to toe, this image is going to reveal some trends. There's really four of them that are going to occur in each successive nation. And remember, we're going to get the interpretation, so we're going to know who it is. He's going to say, you, O king, are the head of gold. The king was always associated with the kingdom. So the kingdom, of course, if he's the king of it, is Babylon. But I want you to see how this actually lays out before we get to the interpretation. You're going to see the deteriorating power of the king. The deteriorating power of the king is going to occur in each one of these world powers. They'll start off very powerful. They will start off controlling, in essence, the known world at that time. And that power will wane until they finally disappear. If that was true for the first four, which are already gone... What do you think will happen for the remainder? They, too, will gain power, contract in power, and eventually disappear. True for them, true for the ones yet to come. You're also going to see an increasing size and scope of military power. True then, true now. So when somebody says, you know, well, the United States is the greatest nation on earth, that is true, but not greater than God. And no country will ever exalt its military power above the Lord. Ever. And if it tries, woe unto them who tries. When you kick God out and say, we don't need you anymore, and you stop giving glory to God, look at your history book and find me a world empire that has lasted when it's done that. And if you can come up with one, I want you to tell me what it is. Because it will disprove the word of God. But you won't. Because every military power that has ever vaunted itself against God has ultimately come to zip and eventually completely disappeared. That's what's happened. And it's happened 100% of the time from the time of Daniel until this day. So when someone says to me, why are you so caught up in all these political things? It's because I know where they go when you kick God out of the public square. I have it right here. I know what happens to nations who are no longer concerned about what God thinks. Nations that thumb their nose at God. Nations who say, God, we don't need you anymore. And in fact, we've got a different God and that God's bigger. And in this case, that God is materialism, human sexuality, power, passion, possessions, Position. That's the current God whose image is being built up. Woe unto a nation who does that. Because there have been others that have tried. And they're not with us anymore. And they were great empires. They also had an increasing size of territory. Think on that one for a second. If you look at the the areas of the world that these nations Ruled at that time. They were huge. Rome ruled the known world. That's the, that's the last one that's actually been clearly visible. Rome ruled the known world. If you go to England today, you can go into Scotland, you will find Hadrian's Wall. Hadrian was a Roman proconsul. He was in charge of the northern territories of Rome, which at that time extended into northern Great Britain. Rome wasn't just down there where Italy is. Yet where's Rome? Where's Italy? Where's that Pax Romana? Where are the Roman people? Caesar would have said, I'm God. The moment any leader says, I'm bigger than God. You better find a new country to live in. You'll also see that during these empires, as we look at the interpretation, they had an increasing duration of time that they lasted. So from a human perspective, put these four things together. The king originally was very powerful. The next three world governments, the king would become less powerful. Because, oh, we'll we'll just give rule over to the people. We'll give it to the Roman Senate ultimately. And we'll get so smart, we won't put all the power in any one person's hand. And through that, our empire will grow and people will like us. And the four things, deteriorating power of the king, increasing power of the military, increasing size of the territory, and increasing duration of the rule, all don't mean anything to God. He's not impressed never has been, never will be. And, and that's why when Jesus delivered the Olivet Discourse, the, those pictures of the last days, he said, know this, perilous times will come. It's going to get ugly. There will be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes, famines in all kinds of places. Why? Because it will be the result of mankind taking advantage of the rest of mankind. It will be despotic rulers, It'll be conquering world powers who try and kick God out of this public square. It will be exactly as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, just bigger. Where do you think we are in the world stage? Exactly that. We still have despotic rulers. There's lots of them. We have tremendously powerful governments, bigger than they've ever been. United States and China alone, you put them together, it's almost two billion people. Almost two billion people. Throw India in there, it's over three billion people. Three governments of the entire world control half of the world's population. What happens when they thumb their nose at God? It's a good question for us today. This terrible image it kind of depends on your own circumstances and pers- perspective as you look at it. You have the head of gold, which is Babylon. You have the silver, which we're going to find out. And I'm going to give you a little preview of next week because there is no way we're getting through all of this tonight. That's why I said there would be a third part. We're going to find out that that chest and arm of, of silver, the Medes, the Persians, the, the bronze empire of Greece... The Iron Empire of Rome. Ultimately, the the feet mixed partially with clay and iron, kind of that Roman Empire, except softened a little bit. Not one Caesar, but lots of Caesars. Not just Pax Romana, but how about NATO and the UN? You, You see, God has always controlled the affairs of men. And he's always allowed the things that are going on uh, to occur, it's up to him when he will say, enough is enough. And from head to toe, these, these four things that we just talked about, the duration of rule. Babylon only existed, really, uh, for about 60 years. That's it. They were very short-lived. They, they kind of took place from about 605 uh, B.C. to about 539 B.C. So a very short period of time. Absolutely, completely unlimited power of the king. What the king said, we've already seen that. Hey, go kill everybody. Imagine that happens in our country. First, there would be a lawsuit that would be filed. Well, you can't kill everybody. Then there would be a congressional instigation of of some type of, of, you know, grand jury or something that we're going to, well, whoever said that, we've got to investigate them and find out where they came from and why they would say such things. But not at that time. Nebuchadnezzar says, Go kill everybody who's engaged in that behavior. And the dude actually goes out to begin to do it. Unbridled power. Persia would ultimately be governed by decree. And we still actually see that in both Iran and Iraq today. It is generally a rigid, religious decree that causes power to be exercised. That's when you talk about Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. He has no power but, he, but what he is given, in essence, by the caliphate. The ruling Muslim power actually controls the president of Iran. And it's by decree. They decree what's going to be the law. The law is carried out. That's still going on. But their power contracted. They had the world's first actual economic standard. And Greece, of course, was a tremendous military power especially their navy, known all over the Mediterranean. After them would follow Rome. And Rome, in some ways, at that time, the world had a lot to be thankful for, for Rome. They were very, very, very evil in a lot of ways, but they were also good to the general population. And in fact, the the Roman world was a generally safer world than the world that was before Rome. An awful lot of people in slavery a lot of people below the poverty line. But that rule was really a rule uh, to some degree uh, by the Roman Senate. And to some degree, every person had a small voice. If you had a lot of money, you had a bigger voice. But the average person could petition the Roman Senate and hire, in essence, an orator to go before the Roman Senate and to plead their case. But it was a tremendously huge empire. And so when we get to these last world empires, we're going to see that the scope's going to increase. Military power's going to increase. The power of government is decreasing. Look at Europe right now. Nobody's in power. Basically, they try and lead by committee. That's why it doesn't work. Put ten people in a room, you get twelve ideas, and nothing happens. That's what. That's true. You ever want to kill any project, give it to a committee. You ever want something poorly designed, give it to a committee. They'll argue over who's going to be in charge of the committee for the first year. Then they'll try and figure out who's going to make up the budget for it. That'll take another year. That's why all of the great innovation happens when people just step out, in, in essence, in a grand adventure, and I'm just going to do it. So as we move forward, uh, the boundaries of these kingdoms will be made very, very clear. Increasing land mass, the proportion uh, represented. When you looked at Babylon, if you you took a modern map, it's actually pretty easy to understand these things. If you took Babylon at that time, modern-day Iraq and basically about half of Saudi Arabia, and that's pretty much it, a little bit of the coastline that leads down to the edge of the Persian Gulf where Iran is right now. If you move to the next kingdom, if you're talking about Media and Persia, that would be all of those lands, plus all of the stands. That's Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, all of the Stan countries, plus Iran itself. That was how big that area of the world was. If you look at the Grecian Empire, the Grecian Empire stretched all the way over to India, plus all of that land, plus all of the Middle East, all of Turkey, and everything all the way up to modern-day Italy. So you can see how they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But as it got bigger, one person couldn't have that kind of rule, so it got turned over to, in essence, a, a ruling government, if you will. Which didn't help things. You see, we think that having more people involved helps. Not so much. That's why our country's in such great trouble right now. As Alexis de Tocqueville said, the country is doomed when it figures out it can give itself gifts. The Roman Empire, when you t- look at the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire went up all the way up to modern day Russia. All the way across most of Great Britain, all the way into Scotland. All the way included basically all of North Africa. So Tunisia, Egypt, all of those countries. Again, all the way over to close to India. It was gigantic. And at the time, it was more than half of the world's population. And so these countries kind of previewed, if you will, the very last days. Verse 36, for this is the dream. And now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, the birds of the air of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you the ruler over them all. You are, he gives the first one, the head of gold. So Daniel makes it very clear that this beast, this image that is seen, is the coming world kingdoms. He says it's going to be the up until the last days. He describes the first one. We'll get the rest of them next time. He says, you're the head. You're the beginning. You're the first. It's interesting that if you, if you study Babylon, and you can just Google it. I don't care if you go to Wikipedia. It doesn't bother me at all. It's generally reasonable. But if you go online to the Encyclopedia Britannica online or any of those encyclopedic references. Look at the standard uh, Bible encyclopedia. If you look at those things, you know what you'll find about the kingdom of Babylon is that it was filled with gold. So much so that the buildings were lined with gold very often, that the buildings were covered with gold, that things were made out of gold that normally were made out of wood. It was a kingdom of gold. And it's widely known historically that that's what it was. So even this first kingdom, even though this was written uh, some twenty six hundred years ago, he was dead on. Said you're the kingdom of gold, and it's interesting uh, that the the chief god, the god of Babylon, was actually the god of gold. Can you imagine the boldness it took for Daniel to say that? Because what he's going to say from here on out isn't going to win you brownie points with any ruler. Be like you walking into President Obama's office and going. You, oh, President Obama, are the abomination of desolation and probably the Antichrist. (laughs) And assuming that you were correct and you begin to lay out all kinds of information that actually points to that being true, you're not making a whole lot of friends in doing that. You talk about boldness. Daniel made it clear that God of heaven alone was sovereign and and he was going to Basically, tell the king of Babylon how it is and how it will be and who's in charge and who's going to do what. And there isn't anything you can do about it, O king. I like that kind of boldness because here's why. I'd rather be on God's side. You know, sometimes we we get, you know, I, I don't even know. I don't even have a word to describe it. But wimpy comes to mind. We we get so wimpy and so lacking in conviction that we won't even say what God has already said. That's why the church is in crisis today over things like gay marriage and divorce and fornication and debt and all of these things that are culturally eating us alive. You realize that God has spoken on every one of those things, and He has an exact He has an exact word on those issues. He wasn't unclear. He did go, well, you guys figured it out. You know, after all, the Constitution is a living document. No, he said, thus says the Lord, these things are the way you're supposed to live your life. Live this way. Now, if you don't like it, well, just tear that page out. Make sure you print your Bibles with perforations in the middle so you can tear out what you don't like. He didn't do that. Daniel has the guts to say, you, O king, are the head of gold. And your kingdom's coming to an end. You aren't going to make it. You're going to fade from existence. One day you're not going to be anymore. And there's going to be others coming after you, and they're also going to fade from existence and not be anymore. And so it will be until the Son of Man comes. That's boldness. Do you have that kind of boldness? Do we have that kind of boldness? To say, Thus says the Lord. And I'm not talking about you going and getting a sandwich board and going out in downtown Running (laughs) Springs and say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The end is near. I'm not talking about that at all. God calls you to do it. Praise the Lord. I'll bail you out of jail because you'll be declared a public nuisance. (laughs) But what I am talking about is when God has spoken, do you have the conviction to speak it? Say it. Tell people how it is, even if they don't like you. Even if they hate your guts. Do you have the conviction to tell somebody that they're in sin? Do you have the conviction to tell somebody that you can't keep your bitterness and unforgiveness and walk closely with God? Do you have the conviction to talk about that relationship that they're in that is absolutely not of the Lord? Do you have the intestinal fortitude to speak the truth that God has spoken to you. Daniel did. And I pray we do. The authority that you have came from God, just as the authority that Daniel had came from God. Even the authority that Nebuchadnezzar had came from God. He didn't know it. Romans 13 wasn't written yet. Amen? There is. uh, Everyone has to submit himself to that governing authority. For there is no authority but that which God has ordained and established. That's what Romans 13.1 plainly declares. Came from God. Doesn't even matter that those, those people are despots. God, either by allowing it or ordaining it, one of the two, God's making sure that that's the way of things right now. It's hard to fathom, but God allowed Pol Pot to be on this earth. God allowed Stalin to be on this earth. God allowed Hitler to be on this earth. God allowed Jimmy Carter to be on this earth. Can anybody tell me why he's not dead yet? It's like everything he... Yeah, God allowed it. There you go. It's like, when did he become our ambassador to everywhere? You know, you wonder those things, don't you? it's like, why is God allowing this? Why is God allowing the financial crisis? Why has it taken us all these these centuries and we're still dealing with issues of race? Why, why are we still in this place? God's still on the throne. Are we going to do our part? We're just responsible for our part. Not his part. Our part. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ultimately, God's in control. He's given the title deed of this earth to Jesus. And one day he's coming to claim it. The question is, are we going to be ready when he gets here? Colossians 2.10 says, for you've been given the fullness of Christ, who is head over every power and every authority. You talking to the church it says you you've been given that same power because Christ now dwells in you Jude verse 25 says to the only god our savior be the glory the majesty the power the authority through Jesus Christ our lord before all the ages now and forevermore His power didn't come and go His power isn't limited His power wasn't for a specific week of time. It wasn't just while he was here on earth. It was then, it is now, and it is forevermore. That's why his name in the book of of Revelation is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? He started it. He's going to end it. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the end-all, be-all, cure-all. A lot of people have thought that. It's an interesting little tidbit of history. They're all dead. Every last one of them has got a grave somewhere. They're all worm food. Ain't none of them ever been to say, well, you know, I beat God. Revelation 12.10 says, And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of Christ. One day he's coming to make good on his promise. And the world kingdoms that we're going to see established have all come and gone. And there are some that are yet to unfold. And they too will take their place in the annals of human history. And then Jesus. And when he comes, you know, somebody asked me one time, you know, because they always focus in on the white horse and all of those kind of things. And that's all great and wonderful, because we who are believers, we're going to come back with him at that point in time. We're going to be part of that heavenly host that returns from heaven. But he's coming back to do battle with the earth. He's coming back to take care of the kingdom that is sin. He's going to come back and fight the battle of Armageddon. Not a pleasant topic. But right now, mankind has the opportunity to repent and be saved. It's still the age of grace. That's why the church is still here. That's why we still have breath. And I encourage you to use it to tell people that there is a God in heaven who rules the affairs of men. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for that promise, that great but, God, uh, Lord, it's you. And we worship you tonight. We praise you tonight. We thank you that in this picture of this image, Lord, we see the world's history unfold before us. And we pray that, God, you would speak to us through the power of your word. And, Lord, as we go about our business this week, I would you strengthen us to the resolve to speak, Lord, to not be silent while we have breath and while there's yet time. Would the world know that you love them and you care for them? Lord, you sent Jesus into the world to die for men's sin so that we would not have to pay the price ourselves. We bless you. We thank you for your prophetic word. Pray that you would fill us with the Spirit as we leave. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been told that there is birthday cake out there.